This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey everyone, welcome to Instant Analysis, a special edition of Instant Analysis. It's National Signing Day 2021. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham, joined by Gerard Martinez. We're trying to do a live show today with Gerard and Chris Trevino. We had some technical difficulties, so Shotgun and I end up doing a live show. You can find that on uscfootball.com. But we wanted to talk to Gerard. Obviously, he's our national recruiting analyst, knows so much of what's going on about USC football recruiting. He's been covering it for a very long time, almost two decades now, Gerard. Has it been that long? Yeah, 20 years. 20 years. Wow, that's a long time. But, yeah, so we've been together a long time. Very interesting class because this is the first time we didn't get to see California players even play their senior year of high school, uh, went from a, a class ranked 64th in the country last year, the worst we've ever seen, to number eight in the country as of right now. Um, we're going to get into what Clay Helton said in his press conference, Gerard, but overall, just kind of get your thoughts on USC's recruiting class of 2021. Yeah, I think uh, it's a class that's really built on the defense. Um, looking at the playmakers and the guys that you're excited about seeing next year, the ones that have the potential to have contributions early on in the year. I think it's mostly on the defensive side of the ball. Obviously, they do a great job. Dante Williams and Craig Niver with the defensive back class. You get six defensive backs. Uh, you get uh, five of those guys on campus early, or actually four of those guys on campus early. Uh, Zamirian Gordon, who's the 6'2", 195-pound safety from Downey High School. He's going to be able to come in, play that strong safety position. He's going to get a run at Telenohu Funga spot. That's going to be the big spot that's open. I think we thought coming into the offseason, that we were going to see both of those safety spots open. But Isaiah Polamal actually comes back. So it's going to be interesting to see how they shift around those players and whether you have Isaiah Polamal actually come down and play Talanoa Fungus spot or if you keep him where he is and he was more of the single post-high safety, as they called at USC, and you just have somebody try to come in and replace Talanoa Funga, who hasn't played that position either from the freshman class or somebody that shifts from the safeties that they have on campus right now. So, you know, you've got Gordon there. You've got uh, Kalen Bullock, who I think is a little more of a free safety. He's going to come in. He was rated as a four-star athlete at a Pasadena Muir High School. Um, Jalen Smith didn't make it on campus early, interestingly enough. He was scheduled to be a part of the mid-year graduate class, uh, but he didn't. So he's going to come in in June, and that's kind of like this sleeper pick a little bit for that nickel safety spot that I really like. I think he's a really good player. And the one guy that they are going to get on campus, is another sort of strong safety type, is going to be Anthony Beavers, uh, about 6'1", 6'2", uh, 210 pounds. And he's a guy that could develop into that spot, could be sort of a hybrid linebacker, maybe a Sam in that tight front that Coach Orlando runs. Uh, so that's an interesting you know, player that didn't play a whole lot because he was at Narbonne, and obviously Narbonne had those issues with CIF. And then you don't have a season 
coming into 2020. So some of these guys haven't played football a whole lot, and that's going to be another aspect of this. But I think defensive side of the ball, and obviously they cap it off with Rajon Davis, the 6'1", 210-pound linebacker from Modern Day Four Star. That was sort of the the cherry, uh, the icing on the cake um, after getting Sierra Wright and Corey Foreman uh, January 2nd. Uh, just after New Year's, and obviously I think those guys are guys that you think are going to be able to come in and potentially you know, compete for early playing time. So, yeah, the defense is really where the, the excitement is, maybe on the offensive side of the ball. The one guy that I really like and I'm really interested to see is going to be Michael Trigg, uh, the six foot four, uh, 240, 235-pound receiver from Tampa Bay, uh, a guy that you know we think about sort of in the Mike Williams sort of mold of a guy that a lot of people looked at and said, okay, this guy's going to be a tight end, but everything that he's played in high school has basically been receiver. He's never really put his hand on the ground. He's always been split wide, and I think that's going to be really interesting to see how he transitions, whether USC uses him like a Drake London or they actually try to use him inside a little bit. I guess it's going to depend on you know, what he looks like when he gets to campus. Is he really 6'4"? Is he more like 6'2"? All this kind of stuff, you know, we didn't really get to see a lot of these kids at camps and and during, uh, you know, the circuit and the offseason. So there is a little bit more unknowns about some of these players. Certainly is. And uh, we want to get into what Clay Helton said in his press conference earlier today. His opening remarks were pretty short. Usually you get like kind of a breakdown of all the different players. And I think we got that for the class of 2020 that wasn't ranked very high. Didn't really get that. But the focus, as you can expect, you mentioned the January 2nd date with the All-American uh, Bowl signing, you know, the signing, whatever, the uh, it's the announcement day. It wasn't any kind of game any, anymore, but there right. wasn't announcements. And uh, USC did get, you know, say you're right. And uh, who didn't sign, he did sign uh, today on signing day. Uh, but also Corey Foreman, who had signed earlier, and Clay Helton kind of got into that a little bit, how keep you had to keep that quiet. And he signed early, but then wanted to announce on January 2nd. So he kind of talked about that, that you know, being a big day and then getting Rajon Davis today, sort of finishing strong, really trying to keep things tight on the West Coast. And, and you know, he didn't say take back the West at all, but that was definitely a focus. <laughs> but then also, Shotgun asked him about that later. We'll get into that. But uh, also diving into the transfer portal. So, it was sort of was he sort of focused on just the later developments, Gerard, and then right. transfer portal stuff. Yeah, so you're coming away from the early signing period, and the early signing period was huge because that nowadays is really the first wave and the majority of your class anymore. So you sort of get by that, and that is the construct base core of what your class is going to look like. And for USC, they already had Corey Foreman signed. So that was technically part of the class, just not publicly part of the class. But Corey Foreman, you know, we talked about this on the podcast and in other places. When you start to talk about take back the West, you have to start somewhere. And I think the consensus is that USC has yet to take back the West. They're still progressing towards that. But the first step you had to do was get the number one player in California signed. You had to do that because they lost the number one player in California two years running. So this would have been a third year in a row. They potentially could have lost that player. Previously, Oregon signed those two players, Justin Flo and Kevon Thibodeau. So this was a big deal for USC to be able to get the number one player in California and get him at a position where, you know, it's interesting because you have Drake Jackson there who played with Corey Foreman at Corona Centennial. So you're moving Drake Jackson into this sort of hybrid player, which is what Corey Foreman is, and you wondered, okay, how is USC going to recruit that? Because you've got 
Drake Jackson's standing there. I mean, he's playing that stand-up outside linebacker, Jack, B-backer position in the tight front. So you would think that they want to book in those guys and play them together, you know, both off, both off the edge, uh, which is going to be interesting to see if, the, if that's how it works out. Um, but the development of Drake Jackson was also a huge part of Corey Foreman feeling comfortable with USC. And that is, even goes forward to Rayshon Davis as well, kind of jumping ahead to today. But Rayshon Davis was a guy that, you know, throughout the process, we kind of knew he was probably going to decommit from LSU. Um, just like we had a good feeling that Corey Foreman was going to end up decommitting from Clemson. It didn't mean for sure at that point in time, yes, for sure they're going to USC, but it, you knew that probably just wasn't going to play out. And especially with the pandemic and all the social unrest, a lot of stuff going on that, you know, I think those things impacted USC recruiting indirectly and then obviously directly because of the season itself. I think anybody would admit on the USC football staff, if they did not have a season this year, Corey Foreman for sure probably doesn't end up at USC. He needed to see Drake Jackson in action. He needed to see the defensive scheme in action. And I think the same holds true, maybe not to the same extent, but I think to a large extent with Rayshon Davis. So you're able to get Corey Foreman done and you're able to get Sierra right. And that was really the cap to, we talked a little bit about it, kind of an extraordinary defensive back class. I mean, you get yeah. Dante Williams from Oregon, obviously a tremendous recruiter. We kind of talked about this playing dividends and being, he really being the biggest recruiter 2020 for USC, truly. And yeah. so he's able to bring together a fantastic defensive back class. Prophet Brown's also thrown in there as a cornerback, a, another big time 5'10", 180 pound cornerback that is a guy that's just electric and a guy that could have some impact in the kick return game. So that was sort of, you know, the class as a whole. And then you're basically trying to top it off with, you know, Sierra Wright. And then you come in today, you got Rayshon Davis. They also are going after Austin Ook, the 6'4", 275-pound uh, offensive tackle from Dallas. I missed out on him. He's going to Stanford. The offensive line class is, again, underwhelming. That's probably, you know, one of the biggest criticisms you could have of this class. It's a full class, 25 guys. But the offensive line class has yet in the last three cycles to sign a franchise left tackle. And that's why when we go into the season, if they don't get a transfer, we're going to be talking a lot about who is going to protect Keaton Slovis's blindside. Yeah. He's got those, he's got those, he's got a great receiving core. The offense as a whole looks pretty good, but it's a matter of what is the offensive line going to do? That could be the difference between being a double digit win team next year for USC and an eight-win team, yeah. um, and you know, keeping your quarterback on his feet and keeping him healthy, which has not always been great because the last what two years, Keaton Slovis has been helped off the field in his last football game. Yeah, so that's that's not a good thing. So we start to look at that transfer portal, and we look at the you know the four players that they get. Uh, Xavion Alford was a, a big pickup for them because we talked about Telenoma Hufunga, and we talked about the freshman that they're bringing in. He's a guy that's kind of an, a potential instant impact player. He was one of the top safeties in that class, that 2019 class, and is a guy that's a ball hawk. He offers a lot of skill and potential in the secondary for USC. You get um, Ishmael Sopcher from Alabama, 6'4", you know, 330-pound, 320-pound, depending on sort of you know what he had for lunch. He's a guy that can come in and can replace potentially Marlon Tui Polotu. That's a big deal. Now, you got Brandon Peely there as well. But Brandy Peely's kind of shown flashes in and out. 
But if you can get Sopcher playing to his level, if you can if you can get the most out of him potential-wise, the skill set and the athleticism that he has at that size, you've got a guy that can really change that defense quite a bit for you. You've got a guy that's an actual pass rusher as a zero technique, which is really like it's a it's a whole nother dimension in that defense if you can get that guy. Normally, you're really just recruiting sort of a plugger, a run stopper, a guy that can play a, a two-gap defense type of guy that just takes up the middle of that defense and allows your linebackers to run free. And if you've got a guy that can do that, but then he can also make that quick sudden move and get by that center and get into the offensive backfield, I mean, now you've just got chaos. And that's what you want as a defensive coordinator. So he could be a really big time player for USC as well. Um, they get the running back transfer, uh, Keontae Ingram from Texas, a 6'1", 220 pound-ish, 215 pound running back from Texas, former four-star from Carthage, Texas, a big time player, uh, but not a guy that necessarily lived up to expectations, I guess, at Texas. And obviously at Texas, you get B. John Robinson there, who USC wanted, remember him? Yeah. They, did, they missed out <laughs> on him. Now they're getting the guy that was beat out by him, which, you know, I mean, sometimes you just need to get your foot in the door and you need to get those reps. But, you know, obviously with USC in the run game, that's a work in progress as far as getting the running backs, the amount of carries that they need. I think it's a, it's a good, it's, it's great that you get a solid guy with talent, you know, on that depth chart at running back, because that's huge. They just don't have a ton of depth Um, in terms of his fit in the offense. However, you know, he was at Carthage. He was really good. They played under center. They played a single back offense. It was a dot offense, ace offense, and they gave the ball to him a lot from under center. And this is obviously different. You know, what, what USC is running right now with the sort of pro-rate offense that, you know, I, I call it because you're using that 11 personnel a lot. And you're using tight ends, but you're still using the three receivers. So, I, you know, there's a little bit of Stephen Carr to his game. He's bigger than Stephen Carr. I think he's a little faster than Stephen Carr. But... You know, is he replacing Marquis Step, who they lost? No, because he's not that kind of running back. So that's going to be interesting to see. It's a good get, talented player, but it's not necessarily a replacement for the guy that they had that seemed like the only guy that can really get consistent yards on third and short. Um, so, you know, that's sort of like, you know, the development. And then I'm trying to think of the the, the fourth guy. Katie, Katie Nixon. Yeah. Oh, Katie Nixon, who we always kind of forget, uh, stature-wise, a little small receiver. Um uh, you know, I, I think a good player obviously comes into USC. He's got like 103, 106 catches or something career-wise. He would be the leading receiver coming back for USC right now. Um, but not quite as elusive, I guess, as you would hope seeing, you know, his speed and his size. You're hoping for a guy that would have this short area quickness and be very elusive. He's really more of a, a quick guy that catches the ball and darts away. And if there's contact, then he's going to go down pretty quickly. Uh, he's going to be competing for that fourth receiver spot because uh, I think when you got Gary Bryant, you got Brew McCoy, and you got Drake London, that three is solid. That's as solid as it gets. So yeah. Kate Nixon, I think, is going to be fighting for that fourth spot for you know whoever else. If it's the freshmen that are in there, uh, guys like uh, Joseph uh, Manjack uh, or Kyrie Hudson Ware, um, Michael Jackson, who's going to be a mid-year graduate, they're going to have ten guys on campus right now already from that 2021 class which is really big, and Michael Jackson being one of those guys. So you're going to have to get some of those guys acclimated, hopefully in spring ball. You know, we're not 100% sure how that's going to go down yet, but that could obviously be a big deal. Um, and that fourth receiver spot is really where Nixon is going to try to make his mark. I don't necessarily see him in there 
I don't see him beating out Gary Bryant, and I don't see him beating out Drew McCoy, and I don't see him beating out Drake Jackson. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I think there's a chance for Gary Bryant. Man, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> I did ask about Katie Nixon uh, to Clay Helton and, you know, sort of talking about how that came into the mix and, you know, they wanted someone to be able to replace, you know, some, an experienced guy. If you can bring someone in uh, to replace a guy like uh, Tyler Vons and Amon Ross Brown, they need to replace that production. Uh, they like what they saw. I mean, just, you know, getting a guy from the Pac-12 South is significant. He didn't talk about Ingram at all. That wasn't announced, but I believe he's still going to end up signing. He just hasn't. I don't think all the, the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed uh, yet, but certainly, you know, major impact on the transfer portal. And you're not going to see that reflected in the rankings, but all these guys look like they can play. So that'll be interesting to kind of see how they're all used, um, you know, you know, down the road. But you had mentioned about getting guys like Corey Foreman. If USC didn't play in 2020, even though it was six games, they probably wouldn't have got guys like him or uh, Rajon Davis. Clay Elton was asked about the turnaround, the recruiting class. It was interesting. He started things off, Gerard, about, well, 2020, you know, it's a big man's class. It's not going to be as sexy. He's kind of used that same mantra at over every, I, I kind of want to just see that dropped. It's like, okay, look, just admit this was a terrible class. Uh, it wasn't just because, it, you know, they, you could have signed more than 12 guys and you didn't sign good offensive linemen, uh, you know, at least highly ranked offensive line. You missed out on a lot of guys. It wasn't like you targeted all those guys and that's who you got. We keep hearing that over and over again. But he also talked about, so he's sort of like saying, well, it wasn't, you know, a terrible class last time, which it was. We all admit it was. But, you know, bringing up the fact that playing football made a difference in the class. And I think it did for sure. And, you, you know, you mentioned it earlier. He brought that up. Yeah. Um, he brought up the support he's getting from uh, the, you know, the from the administration now and the fact that they could put money into the video department. They could add to like the Gavin Morris's of the world and get support there. And, you know, having the staff, you know, guys like Dante Williams, we'll talk about him in a second, but there, there was definitely factors to making this a better class. And, uh, you know, I really wasn't thinking about playing football as being one of them, but without that letter that USC players sent to the governor, I don't think the Pac-12 plays football at all. And I don't think USC has as good of a recruited class as they did. No. And defensively, that's where I think the majority of impact players at least initially look like they're going to be from. And it was a new defense. So you could come in as Tart Orlando and you could say whatever you want about we're going to be aggressive, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. But at the end of the day, Corey Foreman wanted to see it. He wanted to see how Drake Jackson was going to be used at that B-backer hybrid position. He wanted to see the player development, because player development has been a bit lacking at USC when it comes to the draft picks, because it's all about coming in as a five-star, being on that three-year plan, and going to the NFL draft. And so that was very significant to him to be able to see the scheme, see how the various different players within the scheme were used, because he's very familiar, Corey Foreman and Rayshon Davis, both very familiar with USC's personnel. Okay, these guys have played with a number of those players whether it be in high school, seven on, Pop Warner, they all know each other from, from various different places. I mean, Jalen Smith, I was talking to him the other day, and he was talking about how he knows Corey Foreman from hoops. They played youth hoops together. This Like, just, you know, like, talk about getting around. These good players, they always seem to gravitate into the same leagues and the same places. And so they all know each other from a long time ago, and they know exactly when a guy is playing to his potential or they think, 
man, you know what? He used to be a good player. Now he's gone to this school and he's not playing to his potential. I don't want to go there and drain my talent and not necessarily be able to come out the back end and fulfill my dream of being an NFL draft pick. So being able to see the defense play well, and it was you know certainly a development and a transition for those players on the roster. We saw early in the year, Marlon Tuipolotu, I mean, he got drafted basically in the first two games of the season. Right after that, yeah. kind of quiet. But that was interesting because that's sort of it evolved. That's the evolution of the defense right there in front of your eyes. The tight front defense, from what I know from it traditionally, it's a defense that wants to allow those inside linebackers to blitz constantly. It's not even a blitz, it's basically part of the defense. And those guys are running wild, and you want your defensive tackle to really just take on a lot of blocks. Um, and so as we go through the se- go through that season, it's like Marlon's making a lot of plays. The defense is sort of hit and miss. You saw Tartolando make some adjustments in second halves. I think that was a big thing that we didn't see a whole lot the last couple years with Clancy Pendergast. Um, in that second half, you started to see them make adjustments. They started dialing in the pass rush. They had more sacks in the second half of games, which is important. And you started to see the linebackers really play a lot better. Now you could also argue... You know, around that Utah game, <laughs> Palia Yoteote gets hurt, and maybe that fit him personnel-wise. And that's not according to USC because Todd Orlando and Clay Helton talked a lot about how they thought Palia was going to have a really big year, but it just didn't look like he was playing in a defense that fit him on the field. He looked a step slow and behind a lot of those plays in terms of the angles he was taking. Now, to be fair, kind of looked that way a little bit with Clancy Pendergast's defense too. But when you saw him go out and you saw them using more Kanai Munga and you had, you know, Raylan go forth, who I think played a really, really good season. A guy mm-hmm. that, you know, I got a little bit of talked up a little bit out of fall camp. You even had Raymond Scott get in there and you saw those players begin to be the guys that were at the top of the stats list getting most of the tackles. It was Teleno Hufunga and all of a sudden it went from like Marlon Tuipolotu to the inside linebackers. And that I think is really sort of what the defense wants. That's where they want to funnel their playmakers. And so that's interesting to see. And if you're a Corey Foreman or you're a Rayshon Davis, and Rayshon Davis is very important because he's a guy that's an edge rusher for modern day. Um, he's a, you know, seven and a half sacks, 16 and a half tackles for losses. He's a guy that can make a difference in the offensive backfield. He can make plays. He's got the closing speed. He's got the agility that he can make plays in the offensive backfield, but he's playing off the edge. 6'1", 210, maybe 215 pounds is really not big enough to play in a 3-4 hybrid defense these days. You don't want him playing against a 6'6", 320-pound tackle, you know, with his 8-foot, 9-foot, you know, freaking wingspan that's just going to grab you and hold on to you. So you want to bring him off the line of scrimmage, and talking to Greg Biggins the other day, we were talking about the future impact of Rayshon Davis, and we always do those future impact pieces. And, you know, Greg's like, just, just kind of move a guy like that around. Maybe he could be like a Telenoa Hufunga type of player. Uh, maybe he's a guy that you put inside and you blitz him hard. And because I think with the pass rushing ability that he has, the blitzing is actually going to be something that's going to be really good for him. I think he fits as an inside linebacker as well as you can having played outside as an edge rusher in high school, if that makes sense. He's 
he's used to going upfield. He's used to pass rushing techniques. He's used to getting skinny and getting small and bending. And you still got to do all those things. Just because you're playing inside linebacker doesn't mean you're going to blitz through the A gap every every down. You may be going at the C gap. They may, you know, push you and shift you and do all kinds of different things. And so Greg was thinking, you know, this guy's good enough in space. He's good enough in coverage that you could kind of have him as a rover and play him anywhere. And I think the best thing about Todd Orlando's defense, what we saw last year, it was really that Washington State game where you saw them play five line or five safeties on the field. Mm-hmm. So you had Teleno Hufunga playing linebacker. You had five safeties on the field at the same time to start the game. And I think that shows a willingness to be flexible, to use what personnel you have, and have it match up against the offense that you're playing against and not just have this stagnant, hey, this is our base personnel. This is how we run it, and this is who we're going to run it. These are our starters. They're the guys who are going to play the majority unless somebody gets hurt. It was – let me try to find what works. And that, I think, in college football is what ultimately works. Yeah. Well, but those guys you mentioned, Gerard, and you mentioned Dante Williams before, he obviously had a huge impact on this class. Some of the guys you mentioned probably don't come to USC without him. They don't play. They don't come. Dante Williams isn't there. They don't come. Clayton was asked about it. And to me, it felt like he tempered the, you know, he didn't want to, like, Give too much all the credit. <laughs> yeah, so he's like, you know, he said, um, uh, paraphrasing here, he said, you know, we re- recruit as a team. He says, I always say that, but Dante obviously did a wonderful job. Uh, he can elevate the entire staff, and Dante was one of the guys that elevated people that were around him. He's a great relationship builder, and he has strong West Coast ties. Uh, wasn't always just involved with the corners, but several recruits on both sides of the ball with his relationships and how he conduct, conducts businesses is, is extremely impressive. So definitely giving Dante some praise, but yeah. wanted to start out by like, hey, we're a team recruiter. But to me, and I talked to Shotgun about this a little bit, you didn't have like a team Martin on staff. You didn't have the ace and you didn't have that for a couple of years. And we saw the two worst recruiting classes we've ever seen. Now you got an ace on the staff again and instantly you're back in the, in the top 10. Is it that simple that you just need great, re- you know, you need a couple great recruiters. They got more of them now and Dante Williams is leading the way. Yeah, yeah. I think that shows you that when you have a guy that is an elite recruiter, and we're not just talking about Dante being a very good recruiter, he's an elite recruiter. So he does raise the bar, just like T. Martin raised the bar. A lot of people around him saw how T. did things and how he approached things, and that rubs off. Um, But, you know, and it's true, there is very much a team effort. Um, And and, and this goes even to the support staff. You know, we're talking about Gavin Morris. Uh, the director of player development. Uh, you're talking about Spencer Harris, uh, the, de- de- the director of player personnel. You're talking about Armand Hawkins Jr., who's the high school relations director. Um, these are guys that are assisting a lot on some of these kids. You know, Armand Hawkins Jr. was assisting a lot on a lot of the guys that Dante Williams was recruiting. And so it is a team effort, make no doubt about it. Um, but it needs to be a team effort within, you know, even the coaching staff and the position coaches. And the good coaches understand they have to protect their position. Um, You have to pound the table and try to recruit as many guys as you can and get as many good players as you can. And the elite recruiters do that by stacking those players. And they don't stop and say, well, what's our need? They go, I'm going to grab as many good players as I possibly can, and I'm going to stack the deck so I know I've got all those good players. So what does Dante Williams do? He goes out and he says, hey, you know what? Sarah Wright, awesome. We got our two corners that we really want. We're going to lose Elijah Griffin. We're going to have those guys compete at that spot. 
I'm, you know, really happy. We've got, uh, you know, those, those three, you know, maybe four uh, safeties in, 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 the, in the class. We really like that. But, uh, Demont, you know, Damani Jackson, Demont, number one player in California, number one corner in the nation. Let's get him too. Just a few weeks later. But you know what? Before that, let's get Fabian Ross, a six-foot, 200-pound cornerback, four-star from Bishop Gorman High School. He's already got two of the top cornerbacks in the 2022 class committed already. You've got the number one player in California. Took, you know, all the way till December, January to get that done in the 2021 class. Well, Dante's been here for a while. He's not going to wait around for January or December to get the number one player in California. He's like, let's get this done now. So let's get Damani Jackson already committed. And that's just it, it, that, that really exemplifies what being elite recruiter is. It's those guys just stack it. And you see them, you know, in Alabama, Ohio State, they've got a lot of guys there that are really good recruiters and they've got some elite guys and they're stacking their whole class. So, yes, it's a team effort. But you have to have those elite guys that go out there and just pound the pavement and they recruit and they're relentless. And you got to have multiple guys. And I think USC, they're not there yet. They've definitely improved. The defensive side of the ball has improved by leaps and bounds. And that's really a reflection in the rating of the class. You're talking about the number eight rated class nationally right now as opposed to 60 or at one point it was like 71, 77 last year. That's because you've got guys that just they care about it and they're doing it every day. And, you know, and and the thing is, it's a team effort. But and and nobody wants to say, yeah, Dante is the best guy and he really killed it. And everybody else is kind of look up to Dante. But in reality, behind closed doors, that's what it does. That Dante is setting a bar. He's sending example. And everybody in the staff has to meet that example. Yeah. Um, Clay Elton was also asked about bringing in any more players. Is there room? You mentioned it's a full class. He gave a lot of credit to Spencer Harris, who runs the personnel department, how they were able to kind of structure things, but there is room. Um, they only signed 12 guys last year, a lot of open spots for early enrollees that you could bring in. So they could, you know, go into the transfer portal and, and pick out some more guys. We looked at, you know, we, they're probably going to try to get a left tackle. I think they've tried already. Um, not successful yet, but Gerard, he also mentioned 14 of the players that are coming in, and I think that includes some of the transfers, will be able to be eligible in the spring. So that's a significant number. Yeah. Uh, you know, getting that early kind of playing time, they're going to start, they're scheduled to start in early uh, April for spring football, but have 14 of these guys in there and being able to play, and the rest will come in the fall. Uh, I think that's a pretty, you know, it's a pretty big deal. And using up, you know, it gives them more spots too, as long as they can stay under the 85. They have more spots they could bring in, a lot more spots if they wanted to. I don't think they will, but there are definitely some spots open if they want to bring in more players. Yeah, I don't think it's a lot. I think they probably mess it around with maybe three spots. You're talking about a total if you're including the transfers. If you sign three more, I think it's like 29 altogether. So maybe three, maybe they could get to 30. Uh, but I think they wanted to wait and they did want to have some room there for transfers. And I think we've talked about this in the podcast before. That might be a strategy going forward for every school. Uh, the the portal is definitely a great spot to go in and grab a guy. And if you can get a waiver and have him play immediately And this year, everybody's going to be able to play immediately. So that makes it that much more important. But the feeling is that maybe that becomes the norm where there's not a lot of having to sit out and the NCAA sort of allows guys to go come and go a little more freely. And if that's the case, then, 
you really have to. You really have to allow yourself some room on your roster in that 85 or the 25 and, you know, how you divvy up the early ones that you can count towards the the previous class. And that's why, you know, with mid-years, it's so important to have room for those players that are on your roster that have not graduated or what have you, because that can sort of prevent you from being able to bring a bunch of those early enrollees in because they're technically going to be on on scholarship. So USC does have those 14. That's counting the four uh, transfers that they get. And then they've got, uh, this is Jackson Dart, is made you know, some moves there during the season and scrambled his senior year to be able to take enough classes so he could get out as a mid-year enrollee. So that's big. Uh, Miller Moss, going to be a mid-year enrollee. You're going to have Brandon Campbell, the running back from Katy, Texas, who's going to be a mid-year enrollee. So that's going to be big, getting him 15 practices. Uh, it's just really the big thing is getting those guys some practices uh, when they do have that spring ball in April. You know, we'll see how that goes. Um, they didn't get any of the offensive linemen as mid-years. So that's a little bit of a downer. Um, you would like to get your offensive lineman in there specifically because the guys from California and all three that they signed, Maximus Gibbs, um, uh, Max Murphy, um, and uh, uh, who I'm, I'm blanking on the third one. Who was the third that they signed? Um, oh, uh, Ty, uh, Ty Buchanan. Yeah. So those, those, those three guys are not going to be early enrollees and they're all from California. So they have not played football in a whole year. And you're talking about a, uh, a, a, a position where there's a lot of contact, you know, so not to play f- pad football for a whole year is really tough. And so you would like to get those guys on campus for spring and get them those 15 practices and pads. And, um, Unfortunately, they're not. So that's that's again, that's kind of going further into the criticism or or if there's a really a, a, a weak spot in the in the class, it's the offensive line. And, and I think that's you know, they've got good offensive linemen. I think that's a good group locally. It's just you didn't get that, you know, franchise offensive tackle. And again, not getting any of those guys early on campus is probably going to hurt. Uh, but you get Jay Toya defensive tackle that's going to be on campus. Um, and I think that's, you know, kind of a big deal. You're going to get Julian Simon, the linebacker from Tacoma, Washington, who's a four-star, who's going to be on campus. And then you get the defensive back. So, yeah, you get 10 of the actual high school players that are in the 2021 class signed and on campus early. And then you're going to get those four transfers. And probably, I think, I think at least two more transfers, I think, are probably incoming for USC. Yeah, you, you mentioned the transfers. And we're seeing a shift. I think 24-7 Sports wrote about this today. As far as, do you want to take a, a flyer on a three-star kid that you would have to develop over the next couple of years or just sign somebody out of the transfer portal that's not happy where he is? So it's yeah. definitely shifted. Well, um, that, that, there, there's that argument with why isn't USC recruiting more junior college players? And at this point, the transfer portal is much more enticing and tempting than junior college where you just don't know about those guys academically you're getting a kid that is an already in a, four, a Division One school, a four-year university, and he's going to have his transcripts all clean and 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 done white, and they're going to fax him to you. You're not going to have to go down somewhere in Mississippi or some random place and go try to find you know the transcripts that are written in crayon. You know, this is you're getting the kid that's going <laughs> to be able to transfer right in, and the clearinghouse is not an issue and all that kind of stuff. And so that's a big weight off the coaches when they're actually putting that effort and that time into getting a kid with junior college, you may bust your butt a whole year and feel like you got a guy and he's going to be an early enrollee. And time and time again with USC in the past, they had guys that were supposed to be early enrollees and then they didn't get in as early enrollees. So they ended up being in June 
if they got in at all. So yeah. I think that's a big temptation. And obviously, right now, because they don't have to sit out a year, it's a no-brainer. You've got to go to the porthole, and you got to find those players that you can plug and play right away. And then California JCs didn't even play this year, so it yeah, uh, makes, yeah. it, makes it even tougher on the JCs. I talked about that with Coach Harvey Hyde a little bit. He's a product of uh, community college, junior college, and he's a big advocate for it, but it's definitely shifting away, especially with the transfer portal. Um, Clay Elton was also asked about uh, as far as like getting a top player like Corey Foreman, what he does to get you know rally the troops around you, like, how you can build recruiting classes around him. Obviously, you know probably help with Rajon Davis, but you know Sarah Wright had already signed. But you'd mentioned like Damani Jackson, uh, you know getting him for the class of 2022, having guys like Jackson and Foreman already in there, they can start to work. You know they're not quarterbacks, but they can still start to work on. Uh, a lot of these kids from 2022 to make that class even better. Yeah, it helps. I mean, there is that modern day pipeline when you're talking about Rayshon and you already got Brew on campus and those parents are very close. And so Damani sort of follows in that. Um, and I think, you know, like I said earlier with those guys, there's a nucleus there. A lot of them played Pop Warner together. And just because they're a part of a class in high school doesn't mean that they didn't play together with guys that were two years younger than them. You know, sometimes it's a weight thing. Um, so you're, you're you're playing with guys and there's a there's a there's a group that's, you know, probably two or three years within each other that all know each other and they're all very familiar. And again, they talk to each other all the time. So if those kids are happy at USC and they're producing at USC and they're able to move on and go on to the NFL, then it just recruits itself. There's a cycle there. And certainly I think, you know, one guy that this hurt and I've talked about this in the past probably with the recruiting process and who he was coming out of the recruiting process and going to USC and not being that guy that he was in high school was Imam Marshall. You know, Imam Marshall was looked at as a generational talent, a guy that everybody knew in high school. Everybody knew before he even got to high school, Biggie Marshall. He had a nickname before he even really got to high school. Um, sort of like a DeAnthony Thomas type of kid that everybody knew coming up through Pop Warner into high school. This guy's a generational talent, goes to USC, homeschool and didn't get the three year and done plan done. He had to take the fourth year, which he really should have. I mean, it was a great decision by him. He played really well his senior year, but that wasn't necessarily the plan. And I could already hear, you know, on the seven on circuit and the camp circuit, a lot of chirping about that, a lot of questions about that. And then he goes, I think he was in the fourth round pick, maybe a fifth round pick. I can't remember for the Baltimore I think it was uh, fifth, Ravens. Or, well, maybe fourth. I don't, yeah. You know, and, and, and unfortunately he had an ACL injury this season. So we wish him well and hope he gets back. Uh, he was, you know, making some strides with, with Baltimore, but not the first day pick that you would expect that everybody expects. And listen, that's not totally on SC either. I mean, this is, you know, it's not a perfect science just because a guy's a five star and he's got, you know, a great nickname coming out of high school doesn't mean he's going to be a five star first round pick with a great nickname coming out of college. Sometimes it just doesn't work that way. But I think that did sort of in some people's minds, along with some other guys that had not got to their full potential and been drafted really high over the years for USC. I think when you see that dip, that's what the kids look at. Listen, the kids are not looking at the program through the perspective of the peristyle. The fans accumulate information and knowledge and data about the team much more than the recruits do. The recruits are literally sports center. Okay. They're looking at their phones. Oh, USC won today. Cool. Even when they're at games, they're looking at their phones. They're, 
their their focus and their attention to detail is usually not that great. And so, you know, when it comes to the first round picks, it comes to the stats. You know, we'll talk about this with running back recruiting and how difficult it can be because USC didn't put up good numbers in rushing. It's very easy to recruit on stats. You can walk in there. If you listen to Nick Saban on that Zoom call where he had to recruit, record that Zoom call and it went public, you see him rattling off a bunch of stats about we've had more linebackers drafted in the last whatever years than we've had losses or something of that nature. Like those are great stats for kids that just go, oh, wow, man. Yeah. You've been to the, the, to the college football playoffs nine of the 11 years. Yeah, man, that, that sounds amazing. Those are just easy things to drop on kids, and they resonate more than, you know, this this five year of, you know, what did USC do here? And, and I've watched the team, and I've seen how they played. And, yeah, you know what? They played terrible in the first half. And, oh, well, they barely won the game in the fourth quarter. And just because you play three terrible half, uh, three terrible quarters and four minutes of great football doesn't make you a good team. Well, you know what the kids saw? They saw USC made a great comeback win against Arizona State. Wow, man, Bruce McCoy. That was a great touchdown. Oh, wow. Did you see Drake London at the end? Wow. That's what they see. Yeah. Uh, Clayton was also asked about, you know, such a stellar defensive uh, back, I mean, well, defensive class. If anyone would stand out and, and he thought anyone would play right away, he's kind of talking about they're all great, didn't mention anyone by name. So I was hoping he would talk to somebody there. Uh, but Shotgun asked about what we talked about a little earlier. Did you take back the West? He said that was the mantra. Did you guys think you did that? So it was a pretty poignant question. And Clay said, I think we had success in areas that we needed, Shotgun. Uh, for us, I was very proud of today. Uh, so he said back in December, he was really happy with where they were. Um, there were some significant targets still left out there, and they were able to to get a bunch of them. And, and you know, with those guys with ties to the West Coast, um, so with the spaces they had left available, we needed to go out and uh, you know get guys like you know Corey Foreman and stuff, and uh, and Davis and, and guys like that. So he says ultimately our goal is to bring these young men and win championships. And I believe once the chip, you know, once the championships will be. Uh, then we'll be a lot happier. And I think these guys can be a significant step towards that. So, I mean, didn't beat Oregon in the season and didn't beat Oregon on the recruiting trail. So it's hard to say take him back to West, but, you know, getting the top player in California and Corey Foreman, it's it's a step in that direction, at least, I would say. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a fair assessment. I, I think, yeah, Oregon is definitely still looming there. You had an opportunity to beat them on the field this year and you didn't. Um but I guess, like I said, you kind of have to start somewhere uh, when you come in, when you're coming off of being. I think they were tenth in the Pac-10 in the 2020 class in terms of their team recruiting ranking. So you you have to get some traction again, and and certainly Corey Foreman is a big piece of that puzzle. Just from a statement standpoint, from a talent standpoint, yes. But need wise. No, you know, I, I, I mean, they didn't need, need, need an edge rusher all that bad. Like, they need an offensive tackle. I think a great question that was brought up on the Peristyle about a month ago was, you know, who would you take, Corey Foreman or a five-star number one offensive tackle? To be named, just a guy, just he's the five-star number one offensive tackle. And it's a really poignant question because – there's more to Corey Foreman than just Corey Foreman, the guy that's going to get you sacks. There is the statement of getting the number one player in California. And that in and of itself, it recruits itself. It helps the brand. Yeah. And again, it sort of 
placates the fan base to some extent, and you can gather a little bit of momentum. So when you get on the field, you know everybody's sort of on the same page. And so that's the significant thing, and they did take a good step towards that getting Corey Foreman. Yeah, I think Oregon signed the number one player in California a lot the previous two classes. So that's uh, at least it's you didn't get a better class than Oregon, but you at least take that step to get the the top player in California. Well, like I said, they, they've got Foreman this year, and they've already got Damani Jackson committed for next year. So technically, you know, if USC is able to keep Damani Jackson, which obviously there's a long way still signing day 2022, they've kind of evened that out a little bit. But you do have to beat Oregon on the field, and this year was a great year to do it. Luckily, that game and that loss did not really hurt their momentum too much. It was a bad loss at the end of the year. It's the Pac-12 championship game. It, it It's an odd year, and I think overall, you know, you and I disagree on this. I don't think the season was a failure. You know, I, uh, I think that the, that there, there were victories in the season, and it was a weird year, and you kind of have to take all that into context. I understand the argument, though, and I think, like I said, it's it's a valid point to say, you know, if you're taking back the West, well, you got to beat Oregon in something. <laughs> you yeah. got to, you got to beat them in something. Didn't beat them on the field. Didn't beat them recruiting. So, like, you didn't beat them at all. Exactly. But you definitely are more competitive at this point, and you came closer both on the field and in the recruiting process than you were last year. So, you know, you're for something in terms of progress, trajectory rise, they at least accomplished that much. And the next step is obviously you've got to beat them in both. Yeah. I mean, USC fans, I'm sure will be very happy, Gerard, that they almost beat Oregon on recruiting and on the field. That's, it's, you know, that's progress, though. It was a failure. But that, well, that's another argument. Um, we're, there's a lot going on here. I asked Clay Hilton about the, it's not solidified yet, but name, image, and likeness, how they would utilize that. If you saw any of the videos, they produce videos for every player that signed. Um, they, you know, I, I asked Clay Hilton about it. He said, yeah, like a guy like Sia Wright, who's, you know, an actor is going to be in, you know, whatever, what's the Space Jam 2? Space Jam 2. I mean, so having guys like that, like, yeah, where do you want to be rather than Hollywood? And he talked about, it's not just a three or four year decision. It could be a 40 or 50 year decision if you end up going to USC, setting yourself up for the future. So, and what I like the most, Gerard, he's talked about, we were proactive with this because we don't know all the details of what these, what you can do, but they're being very proactive about it. If you recall, when the early signing period started, they weren't very proactive. They sort of like got hit the blind side of like, wow, why is everyone signing now? Like they didn't, this was something where it fits well because it's Los Angeles and you can use it, but they were much more proactive with this than like the early signing period was. Yeah, much more proactive. And uh, I think a lot of the things that have gone on in the background with video production and graphics and understanding branding there's a lot of things that have gone on and there's been movement that will continue to pay off in the future for USC again, because they've been proactive and the fans sort of poke fun here and there and are like, yeah, you know, I wish our video production team go out there and make tackles, et cetera, et cetera. And I understand that at face value, but you have to have infrastructure and more and more, you know, infrastructure is this facilities, you know, we talk about facilities and football facilities and, and, you know, the PAC 12 is very behind on that and USC is behind on that. But they've tried to be somewhat competitive with McKay Center and Galen, et cetera. But personnel infrastructure is also very huge. And in recruiting, that's been the arm race for a long time. And there's various different facets to it. There are the guys that you want to hire to get in front of kids. Brian Carrington is a director 
of football recruiting at the University of Texas, came in last weekend and basically had an official visit with USC. So USC's offered him a job. Uh, we don't know exactly what the job would be, probably some type of analyst or quality control in the background. But this is a guy that was sort of the point man for B. John Robinson when he was at Texas. Okay, This is the infrastructure that you talk about. This is the facet where this is a guy that you get in front of people and he can recruit, he can relate, he can reference, okay, he can sell. Then you get the guys in the background who organize the strategic standpoint. They're not necessarily the guys who are going to stand there in front of a five-star linebacker and say, hey, you know, this is why you should go to USC. Hey, you know, let me get to know your family. And they make that sort of personal bond with them. But these are the guys that get the logistics done and they get people in the right area and they make sure that the time that is being used by the coaching staff is being used efficiently. And then you have the aspect of video and photos, which is the branding aspect on social media, which gets to the kids. They're all over Instagram. Instagram is sort of supplanting Twitter a bit in terms of where the recruits are the most. Um, so you have to get graphics. You have to get, you know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words, right? So how many is video worth? When you can get those things in front of kids and already talked about the sports center mentality that these recruits have. You don't have time to sit there and give them this long lecture about, well, this is the University of Southern California, and here we have the Marshall School of Business, and here we have this. Like, no, don't waste kids' time. You get them on campus, get the recruiters in front of them. Get those guys that can sell, that can create a relationship where they relate from, you know, I, oh, man, I was there. Like, Gavin Morris is a great recruiter for USC because he's been there and he's done that. He's been a part of the seven-on circuit. He's been a part of... Other places where he was with the Braves, he's been at very many different levels and he can relate to families and he can relate to the recruits and they feel comfortable around him. And that is a big sell. The comfort level of recruits when they get to a campus is a huge factor in the recruiting process. So you want to get, you know, tour guides are great and everything, but you want to get the guys in front of them that can actually recruit. And that's one facet. And like I said, video and the strategic aspect of it, they're all different facets. Recruiting to me is always a three-dimensional thing. There's the sales aspect of it, which is the guys like Dante Williams who do a great job. There's the strategic aspect of it. And then there's the evaluation aspect of it. And evaluation, you know, when you're actually talking about recruiting somebody, is obviously going out and getting the players that fit your system that you feel comfortable with that can perform at a certain level. But you have to have everything. If you don't have everything, then you're going to see dips and dives in certain aspects of your roster. Yeah. Uh, Clay Elton was also asked about uh, the seniors because everyone's eligible to come back for their senior year again. Um, he, Matt Fink, well, baby. Matt, Matt Fink, president. Matt Fink. Yeah, so uh, it was kind of weird. I'm not sure if Clay quite understood the question. You start talking about the seven guys that are leaving for the NFL. Uh, and then, yeah, they was asked again, like, hey, so he said they're all back, obviously. Uh, but he said everyone else, so anyone that's not going to the NFL or went into the transfer portal, he, then he said they are el they have the opportunity to come back. So I'm assuming, I mean, everyone was assuming for what he was saying, it's like those guys are back. We might get an announcement from someone. I don't know, does Vivai Malapai transfer or, or, you know, but guys like Stephen right. Carr, Jordan Isefa, Matt Fink, you mentioned, um, you know, Vivai Malapai. According to Helton, it sounds like they're all coming back. But he said, he kind of put that in there, the opportunity to. So maybe you see someone decide to either, you know, forego their last year of eligibility, retire, or go on the portal to play one year somewhere else. But sounds like anyone that hasn't already transferred out or uh, went to the NFL will be back. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, that that's the interesting aspect of this because right now we're talking about transfers and we're talking about the turnover in the roster. But if there's a spring ball, and this is another thing where, you know, USC and the Pac-12, they got to get on the same playing level as the rest of the, <laughs> rest of the country. <laughs> they weren't this year. You know, they, they, they were a step behind. And, and you talk about branding, that hurt the Pac-12 brand quite a bit. You know, the, the margin that was there between the Pac-12 and the, you know, the SEC and the Big Ten, not maybe as much as the Big Ten because they started a little late, but they're still way behind as far as branding and in terms of, I think, the 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 respect, you know, the, the, the college football fans have for the conferences. You know, USC's Pac-12 in general is behind everybody right now. And so you got to get on this. You, you got to have spring ball, man. You got to figure it out. If, if if there's a question as to whether, well, maybe we're not going to have spring ball or not, then you need to ship the kids off to Arizona or wherever they're going to be able to have spring ball to be able to continue to, to to get your team ready and get your team right and be able to have that preparation and get those practices in because they're important. They're very, very important. And so, you know, just from a branding standpoint, I do think the Pac-12 is a little behind. But if we get to that point where we have spring ball, then it opens up again. I mean, the, the summer is going to be crazy with transfers because then you're going to come out of spring ball and, you know, somebody doesn't get as many reps as they think they should get. Guys are going to be leaving. So we're talking about, you know, how many rides does USC have and, and you know, what's what's the what's the, the ceiling of it for this class? We don't really know because there could be a ton of attrition that comes out of spring ball. Yeah. All right. Well, this was supposed to be instant analysis, which is typically like 15 minutes. We're uh, over the 50-minute mark. So well, listen, the instant <laughs> part is how quickly we do we react after there is newsworthy event. It's not how long the reaction is. Right. This is a little longer reaction. Keely would be very mad at me. She was like, how do you let him go this long? But that's good. We wanted to get your thoughts on this. We'll probably put it up as a podcast and stuff too, but just wanted to kind of get everyone sort of up to speed on where yes, USC is with the class. We wanted to have like kind of a live reaction and it didn't work technically. So, hey, this is the next best thing. The next best thing. All right. Well, that's uh, we're going to wrap things up. Thanks, Gerard, for uh, coming on and sharing your thoughts. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Here's me face. Yeah, we get to see Gerard Martinez, which is always great. Thank all of, all of you out there for uh, watching us here and hope you check out uscfootball.com. Hope you enjoyed National Signing Day. I know it's not the same as it was before, uh, but it's a definitely interesting. It's it's a lot different, uh, but we are, we adapt. We have to be adjusting and adapting and you know just changing what we do on the fly, and uh, we've been doing that all the time. But that's Gerard Martinez. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.